Hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 85. And today we're going to be talking about using the requests library to teach the basics of programming. My name is Sean Tiber. I'm a coder who teaches. And my name's Kelly Schuster Paredes, and I'm a teacher who codes. Yeah, so it's a pretty exciting topic. You've been doing a lot with this uh, with your with the students lately, Kelly, and I, I think it's a really great area to dig into because people don't really think about using requests to teach the basic. It always comes up as like a intermediate or advanced topic, right? It it was really funny. Yep, it it kind of came into place, and everyone always asks us to share our curriculum. So I I think this is the one the one little freebie that we're going to give out and share. Nice. nice. <laughs> well, before we get into our main topic, and even before we get into the wins of the week, we have a couple of exciting announcements to share. And I don't know how this feels for you, Kelly, but the first one I think is a little bit bittersweet. I'm excited about it. And I'm also kind of sad about it. But I'm not in the classroom with you anymore. Um, I know my, my tea gets cold every day now. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> So something that happened about a month ago, and it's been a big change, and, and everything's good. It's a good change and a, a good situation, but I have left the classroom, and I have been seduced back to the world of corporate technology and working as a pure technologist for about the last month or so. And I know that there's probably a lot of groans and and from other teachers out there saying, <laughs> oh, you know, we, we lost one. But it was one of those things where it was a, a combination of factors, especially like what I needed to do for my family and, and for, for the future. And so as a result, I have recently accepted a position working as a senior cloud engineer for Mondelez International. So if you're not familiar with it, Mondelez is a company that makes snack foods and around the world and a lot of snack foods. You may have heard of some of our brands in the US. We have things like Oreos and Sour Patch Kids. And in the UK, we have Cadbury. There's Milka Chocolates. I think there were a bunch of uh, snacks and candies and, and tasty, tasty treats from Peru that you didn't realize were from Mondelez either. Choca right, sodas. Choca sodas. Yeah. <laughs> So who would have thought <laughs> all the so, Peruvian people out there going, exactly, yes, <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm, I am really excited about it. I am continuing to do uh, lots of other things to keep my teaching going. I, it's not something that you can just stop and, and go off and, and not teach anymore. So I have several students that I'm tutoring one-on-one -on -one and helping them go quite a bit further, which is exciting. We're also working on some tutoring and adult learning offerings through Teaching Python, which should be forthcoming soon. Yeah, he's practicing on me. So just so you know, I, <laughs> just so you know, I, I constantly am in conversation with Sean and still getting all my Python help crying. <laughs> crying. So, so I'm, <laughs> Go ahead. I'm staying well practiced. And, uh, and then, you know, Interestingly enough, even in the first month of my job, I've already been involved in a lot of our learning pathways and defining what it will be like for new members of our team to become cloud engineers and talking about curriculum design for adult learners learning about the cloud. So it's been a lot of fun to be able to leverage that experience and, and knowledge about learning towards how to help my new team members onboard quickly. You're welcome. Yep. <laughs> Kelly's taught me everything I know. <laughs> I know. But a lot of good news. It's uh, it's given me an opportunity to grow as well, and yeah, to have some fun with the eighth grade curriculum and 
Yeah. And I was talking to Sean about this, this activity and yeah, we're going to do some more talk through so I can improve it. Cause even, even if you don't have one person in the classroom with you all the time, you, there's always a PLN and that's been our motto since we started this. Right. So always someone to talk to, someone to reflect with, someone to grow. And that's where we are. Yeah. And and as much as I'm excited about my new job and my new opportunity, I miss being in the classroom terribly. I miss my students. I miss hanging out with you, Kelly, and <laughs> having you yell at me for having a messy desk or whatever it is that day. But but I miss all those things. And it's it's hard to give that up. Yeah. But we we're getting on. We we we'll, yeah. we we got each other still, so you can't get rid of me that quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to things let's that are do. not. Let's move on to the things that are not bittersweet. Things that are are just purely amazing and awesome. We got a great email yesterday, Kelly. What yeah, that's it? is that's the wins of our week. We're going to share this one. Okay, okay. So let's go this. straight into wins, wins of the week. Of the week. I'll let I'll let you announce it because you know you're the one that told me because I wasn't looking at my email. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's make this our shared win because this is something that we're both really excited about, and maybe we can share a second win. But okay. this one's from both of us. We're speaking at PyCon this year. Uh, <laughs> He's so nervous. <laughs> He's excited, and my hand, my palms are already sweating. So, <laughs> well, you know what's the worst they can do? Put us in front of a giant room of people. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're yeah, we're we're excited about it. Our topic is going to be learn Python like a twelve-year-old, and it's all going to be about the things that we've learned from watching our students learn Python for the first time, and how those experiences, skills, and lessons can be applied to the way that adults learn Python. So it's pretty exciting to be chosen. We're honored to be chosen, and we're excited to go to Salt Lake City at the end of April and and share what we know and what we've learned about being in the classroom together. Absolutely. And I think our boss is even more excited that she only has to pay for me this year. <laughs> yeah, She's exactly. like, yes, you can go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So if you're going to Salt Lake City for PyCon, and I know that it's, uh, it is definitely a tricky year and a transition year for people to be able to join us, but we'd love to see you. We'd love for you to come to our show. We'll have more details as they become available. And of course, if you are not going or choosing to go remotely, we completely understand. And I'm sure that there will be streaming options where you'll be able to check out our talk either as it's happening or after it happens. So more to come on that. But for now, yay. So Kelly, do you have a second win of the week that oh, you can share? You know, I had, I keep coming up with new ways to teach functions and, you know, screaming and banging on desks is not really productive, even though that's one of my go-tos. Luckily, Sean's not in here anymore, so I can scream and bang on the desk as much as possible. But I, we were talking about returning functions again with the seventh graders, and I, it doesn't matter how many times we do that. The light bulb comes on at different stages. And today, I took some bunch of code on a sheet of paper and I stuck it in the book and the book I called, I know, and I said, this is my function. And then I reassigned the book a name. And I was, I told the student, I said, when I call that book name, what is my return value? And then I started putting functions inside functions. And I was walking around with a stack of books. And I think by the end of the, end of the, um, end of the class, they got it. One of the functions name was think again, that book that I, I was reading nice. from last chapter. And, you know, whatever you can do to make it physical, to get them moving, banging on dust, not always productive, but it, you do get your point across, I guess. 
<laughs> yeah, and I did like the way that you did the message passing. Mm-hmm. I think it was last quarter, the way that you explained it that way. Like, here, I'm going to have give you some information. You need to process it. And then you use the example of writing it on your own desk or writing it down on a sheet of paper and holding it for yourself is like printing it. But sending the message back to me, that means I can do something with it. I have that information, and that's like returning a value. So I thought yeah. that's always a, a nifty trick. Yeah, that was – that- that was like the third go around. Then we're like on day five when I still had some stragglers still. So I was like, what do I need to do? So, you know, there you go. Another way. Yeah. You can never give enough ways to learn something. You know, you just keep trying to make it stick and you wait for those aha moments. So it does happen exactly. eventually. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We'll get there, right? Yeah. So for me, it was actually working with one of my tutoring students this uh, past weekend, and it has uh, nothing to do with Python, but it has everything to do with HTML and CSS. So she had come to me and said, I want to learn how to make websites. And I said, okay, well, let me put together kind of a checklist of things that you will need to know in order to make a website. And I'm trying to balance that learning path or that need for how much HTML and CSS do you actually need to code your own or understand before you can write your and make your own websites? And so I have her using a, a set of tutorials on htmldog.com, which is awesome. I'm actually really pleased with how clean and focused those tutorials have been for her. Last week, she or two weeks ago, she worked through the HTML tutorial and got to the point where she could make a basic uh, basic website with just HTML and no styling or anything on it. And then we went through and I got her started on the concepts of CSS and how to style your, your content and change the presentation of it. And she was having just a blast with CSS and being able to use things like hover tags and, you know, apply underlines and change font sizes and make things colorful and, and change the font families and everything. So she just really got into it and she just kept saying, this is so cool. This is so cool. (laughs) I was just really enjoying that moment because I've definitely banged my head on the keyboard a lot over HTML and CSS. And sometimes you forget just how magical it really is that you can create these things and code them and play with them. And it can be really fun. So that was my my win was having that moment with her. Nice, nice. I miss HTML. I miss time, time to code and and do fun stuff. <laughs> no, <It's> true. <laughs> no guilt. <laughs> None taken. That's awesome. Any fails? Um, I'm trying to think if I had any fails. So I just keep chugging along. Oh, I, I did have a fail again. And, and you're going to laugh because I can give you one guess of what I was doing. And you know how much I love them where I had massive fails <laughs> and I started slinging boards across the room. That one doesn't work. That one doing circuit pythons again. It never, it never ceases to amaze me how quickly I get flustered um, with saving. I'm getting better. I, I have to admit in the past four years I've gotten better, but when it comes to the point where you're like, what's going on, what's going on. And then you're like, ah, there's an error. Ah, there's no library. Ah, this hasn't been updated. And I'm just like, get another board. (laughs) I'm not doing this anymore. But yeah, that was a fail. Just that, that, that ability to calmly troubleshoot has been something that I've been dealing with for about four, three and a half, four years. And one day I'll get it. 
where that calm down moment happens. Yeah, I, I mean, it feels like playing golf, right? Like, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. This is the most amazing thing ever. And I want to do more of it. I hate this. I hate this. I hate this, right? Like, it, and that's natural as part of any troubleshooting process. But I think the reward when you get circuit python working and the hardware working and and it lights up or it makes the colors or it you know makes the sounds it's so satisfying and that's what makes it worth it yeah. but it's can oh, be no. horribly frustrating on the path to get there you know my happy moment when and the reason why I keep using these boards over and over again even though they they stress me out is that moment and it happens with every single child and thank you Ada Fruit for that. They go, "Oh my god, this is so cool." And I'm like, "Damn it. <laughs> I got <laughs> to use this board it. again." <laughs> Have to keep using it. <laughs> so, you know what? That's why we do it. That's why you brought it in and I'm hoping I teach them enough circuit playground or python so that they can fix the board that's broken on my wall that I keep looking at. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, any fails for you? Yeah, I have been doing a a lot of GitHub work in my new job. And one of the differences is that usually up to this point when I've been using GitHub, it's just for me. So if I want to change things and you know, I want to to add commits. It can be very linear and I can just commit to one branch and it's just one thing after another because I'm the only one working there. But now I have to play nice with others. And that means following, you know, following best practices and making branches and pull requests and all of these things that, you know, were always cool when I was like messing around with them in GitHub, but not really necessary. And now they're necessary. So I have had quite a few fails with branches and rebasing and learning all kinds of new Git topics, not just specific to GitHub. And so I think my fail was looking at a pull request that I had made, like one big feature that I wanted to incorporate into the main thing that I was working on. And there were like 19 steps that I had taken to get to that point. And half of them were like typo, 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 you know? So it's, I think my fail and it ended up being successful, but my fail is just looking at that and going, wow, like, you know, when you actually see all of your errors and all of your iterations laid out like that one after another, it's kind of illuminating about, how the process really works because it it's easy to forget that there are so many steps involved along the way. Yeah. I'd imagine like if just to show the kids, it would be so cool. Here you go. Developers out there. How cool would it be to take like a snapshot or a live recording as your, uh, an easier way. I know there's some places out there to do it, but as the kids are coding or you're coding that you're having this, you know how you'd have like an eye stop motion and you can speed up so many frames per second. You have like an eye stop motion while a kid is full on coding and they could push the pause button and then they could just see all their errors and it would be cool. There you go. Yeah, I think we're going to have to do something like that, <laughs> some sort of uh, way of documenting that because just the process of just creating something and then deleting parts of it and changing it and moving it around, it's, it code is fluid. It flows. It, it has a, a rhythm to it. And that's one of the things that's kind of amazing to see when you look at how it changes over time so very cool well let's get on to the topic because i really want to, we want to digest and reflect and make things better and this is our time to do that so let's go yeah so let's, let's talk about requests Ooh, so I'll, I'll start with the what is requests because i think i have a pretty decent understanding of it but requests is a python library it doesn't do anything you you couldn't do with a standard library like url lib3 or anything like that but it makes it really convenient and really simple and elegant 
to make web requests using Python. And so if you're someone who's not familiar with this, a web request is the thing that happens when you open up a browser and you go to Google. Every time you go to a website or a web page, a series of requests happen between your browser and a remote server or a series of servers to get all of the pieces of data that are necessary to create that page. So it might need to go get the picture for the Google logo. It might need to get the HTML code, the CSS, all of these elements that go together, these resources that you can use in your web page. Well, if you want to use those requests in code, not only could you go get all of the contents of the Google homepage, but you can do some really exciting things with this, like connect to APIs and get data that's designed for computers to consume, not just humans. So the request library is really great for that because you can just say something as simple as import requests and then request.get the URL, and it'll give you the contents of that uh, resource that you asked for, the web page or the JSON file or whatever. So that's my my 30-second summary of requests. I think <laughs> I've been trying to, to hone on that for a while, but it's a beautiful library. It's used by a lot of different other Python packages. It's pretty commonplace when you're looking at dependencies out there. There are more modern alternatives to requests, things that are more asynchronous or, or have different features, but requests is kind of the, the gold standard if you're going to go to a Python library to go get stuff from the web. That was really, really good. <laughs> and then <laughs> that was that was a lot of information. That's how my students felt when I first started talking about it. <laughs> well, and that's one of the things that's challenging about it, is that there's so much other knowledge that you need to have to understand why requests is cool, right? Like the whole idea of making a request to a server on the internet is something that we don't think about. We just do. Like I type in a, a URL and then magic happens, right? Yeah. That was really cool. What was the, I, while you were talking, I was thinking what just blew my mind, but that's kind of what happened on this first time I taught this, this lesson because I went in and I was like, well, this is really cool. And it's going to go talk to, get to the HTTPS client. And then you're going to go and get this um, URL and then you're going to get some JSON files, but you first have to put this library in. And the kids were like, what? Um, and whenever you start doing all this jargon and you want to dig into a library that it really is super simple, three lines of code and bam, you've got some fun happening. But when you start talking about really what's happening behind the scenes, it gets a little bit overwhelming. So when I did this lesson the, the second time around, because I did it twice to one class, I wrote out all these vocabulary words you know, I had JSON, I had HTTPS, I had PyPy, I had third-party packages. I had all these vocabulary words, and each child, um, each student was responsible for defining that word. And as I was speaking, I was like, okay, who who's, who defined HTTPS and what does that mean? And so it was a really nice way of introducing a, a lot of complex information. So it was kind of fun. Yeah, and, and the danger here is that as you define those words, you discover other words that also need to be defined. So it becomes this like recursive <laughs> problem that you have, where the more you you know, you or the more you find out, the more you have to research. It's kind of like that game where if you click, I think it's the first link on every Wikipedia page, it, within six or seven clicks, you end up on the philosophy page. <laughs> <laughs> Everything leads back to philosophy, right? You've got to um, be prepared for that. You you just go, well, you don't need to know about that. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but once it's really cool, I think um, 
for me, I didn't start realizing how in depth and how useful this was for teaching basic codes until we started having conversations about getting information out from that JSON data um, that was coming in on our screens. And kids were looking at, they're like, I was like, great, you know, look at this stuff. And that was when I realized, like, what a great lesson this is to really parse through some basics and some for loops and some input functions and really tease things out like that. So let's let's take a minute to to pull that apart, because I think it's sometimes a little bit difficult to see why is this valuable? Why would you want to teach requests at this point in the process before they've got a lot of that knowledge and and information? So at, at least for me, what I've seen is that the request library opens up external information, stuff that the the student hasn't entered in themselves. So one of the the things that I always fell into is I'd teach something like here's a dictionary or here's a uh, list. And I look, you can combine them and I can have a list of dictionaries or I can have a dictionary of lists. And they'd say, okay, that's cool. Like I've done the requirements. I've satisfied this, but you know, so what? Everything I've typed in is stuff that I can get back out again. So it's like when I put it in myself and I get it back out myself, it's not that exciting because Mm -hmm. I know exactly what went in. And so what comes out is predictable. Mm -hmm. But it's, and, it's, yeah, sorry, go. Well, I was going to say, I think the, the magic of using requests is that it's not predictable, right? And then it adds this layer of utilitarianism to it. There's actually value in this. There's utility that you get from having requests because I can connect it to other services out there and get information like a function and d- be able to get stuff that I didn't type in myself. And if I can make it abstract enough, I can put in different inputs and get wildly different outputs in return. Yeah, it's totally that. It's like, you know, when we you were doing sixth grade and I was teaching sixth grade, it was uh, there's only so much fun we get from the sixth graders saying, oh, look, what is your name? My name's Kelly. Yay, it's fun. And it wasn't until we started realizing when you use that utility, when you have that information coming in and, you know, the what was your what was the API you used? The Chuck Morris jokes. <laughs> Do not do that. Just it's horribly. Most of the jokes are fine. Some of them are not appropriate for school. But I mean, what it at the the act of actually going and getting something that you're not really sure is going to show up on your screen, you have to keep these thirteen and twelve, thirteen year old kids engaged because it is so boring just putting in inputs and getting out the same response. So I think that's the beauty of the request library and really just the shocking fun value. It's like that hook when you talk about lesson building, what is the hook that you're doing for the lesson? Hey, well, I'm going to go to a dad joke and pray that the dad joke is not culturally insensitive. And, you know, we have a good little laugh. So that's why we chose to do the request library. Yeah. And that's why, although they can be a boring weather and stocks are usually pretty safe choices <laughs> rather than jokes i only got a few and i i'm going to share off this list i searched a whole bunch of websites for open apis and we'll, i have this list for our show notes because they're not mine i went to medium i found i was searching and i i only have about eight nine ten of them the coin decks and the the converting of bitcoin well that was fun for like four kids. The Pokemon was only like one kid. The dad joke was spot on a lot of kids. And then the 
you know, put your name into this API and it guess your age based on your name, which I really like because it said I was younger than what I am. So it's my favorite API spot so far. Nice. nice. Yeah. And I think that's, that's uh, definitely a good point. I think the APIs or application programmer in- interfaces that you can find online are a great place to start because it, the data that comes back is usually in some sort of JSON format, which can be quickly converted to Python data structures like lists and dictionaries. In fact, in requests, there's a method called .json that when you add that to your response, it will give you back the Python dictionary or lists um, that represent the, the JSON that was given back to you. So you have all of those things. There are some, some watchouts that you could run into around date timestamps and things like that. But for the most part, if you wanted to go get a weather API, you could hit a weather API, get back the data in a JSON format, and then also add some inputs to be able to let the user select where they want to get their weather from. So it allows the user or the student, more likely the student, to actually create something useful with 10 or 15 lines of code that they could actually show someone and say, hey, look, I made a weather app, right? Or, hey, look, I made a dad joke app. And they don't have to worry so much about how the dad joke is generated or where the data source for the weather is. They can make something really cool and really share worthy with 15 or 20 lines of code. But yet there's more, you know. I put a little, I got this conversation from one of your, your prodigies who was like, yeah, but I just did this, this app in, in five lines. I was like, yeah, but it didn't hit any of my requirements because remember, we're also teaching the basics of, of Python and what you can do in five lines is super great, but the lesson isn't about how fast you can code or how short you can code it. The lesson is about how do I manipulate, um, data in, in this JSON file that has a dictionary key and a value that's assigned to a list full of dictionaries. It's how do I get a single output that's clean? And on top of that, I made it even harder. I made them make exactly four functions, you know, I shouldn't say exactly, a minimum of four functions. So they had to figure out what am I going to do with the rest of this app because there's only, you know, one dad joke or how can I make this more interesting or how can I make this more engaging? And then you have this challenge of not really getting the information from the API because that's easy, right? Go get it. Go go do a request and get the URL and print out some JSON. Okay, done. But how am I going to use this? How am I going to create a project? How am I going to make this usable and fun for the teacher to grade? <laughs> yeah. And, there's, and it'd be inter- it, to be honest, I think one of the things that this made me realize too is that it is a a bit of untraining that happens when you use something like the request library. I'll give you an example. My my daughter is learning division right now in math class. So she's learning division and they're giving her a, a huge number of story problems to solve, which is awesome. Like it just makes it, it gives it context. And she's struggling a little bit with going from the prompt or the, the question to the math and then back to an appropriate answer. And she's getting better at it. She's practicing. But one of the things I said to her is, you know, if someone asks you, hey, we have this many pieces of fruit and this many fruit and each fruit box that we have can fit so many pieces of fruit, how many fruit boxes do we need to fit all of this? It's, you know, if you replied back to someone, you said 25 remainder of four, (laughs) that doesn't mean anything to them. Like that, that's not really 
it doesn't have the right context or the right ability to comprehend. But you could say, well, we actually need 26 boxes because we'll have 25 boxes that are full and one box that is partially full. And so those sorts of, um, you know, kind of literal interpretations, right? Translating between what's the, what's the, the problem that I'm trying to solve? What's the answer that my, my process is, is, is giving to me? And then what's the actual answer? What's the user-friendly, the way that I would actually explain it to another human being part of this as well? So it, you could solve the problem by saying, okay, put in your URL. User puts in a URL. Here's your JSON from that. But what does that mean to an actual person? It's the process of translating that from what kind of input do we want? Hey, what's your zip code? I'm going to put that into a weather API call, and then I'm going to print out something that tells you how nice the weather is that day. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. It's like, and then and to, to add to that, most of the times thinking about how, how we teach or how it's things are taught in schools and going back to our last, last episode with Will schooling versus learning, um, I could give them exactly what to print out or we could tell them exactly here, I want you to make this weather app or I want you to make this dad joke app and do exactly what I said. That's schooling. I'm schooling you on how to follow instructions. But the learning comes where you are, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You just know I have to make something that, you know, what's the criteria of fun? How is, how am I going to grade fun? I'm like, I don't know, make me laugh. So I had, <laughs> which is always scary with eighth graders um, because I did get something like if the age returned above 43, God, you're old. You must be the same age as Miss Paredes. <laughs> and so like, what? Points, points for risk taking. I like that. <laughs> so, I mean, you get, and you get this engagement and the kids really, really love this so much. So, and I have to share this and I'm not going to share it all, but the one girl that I teach, we, we love her. Um, can't say her name, but she, she said challenge accepted. And I've tweeted about her a couple of times. She took four APIs and combined them together in one app because she's like, you want me to do four functions? I got you beat. I'm going to do six functions and I'm <laughs> going to use all these APIs. And it was cute. It, one of the APIs is rhyming. Nice. So you put in your, she had you, you know, put your name into this website and it starts rhyming to position because the words that come off from the rhyming website, it's like pages and pages of, of words that are words that will rhyme with whatever you put in. And so it's like, okay, smelly Kelly or smelly belly or fat jelly. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> all these words. And so again, you get this opportunity for the kids to figure out how to parse, how to go and get the length of something, how to find the items in the list, how to loop through, um, all this data that they have. And it, it's just a beautiful moment when you can give the students agency in their learning and not be schooled. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, all those same rules apply. This is a fantastic opportunity to connect and transfer that knowledge to other domains and, and really reinforce the understanding and, and knowledge acquisition. So, and skill acquisition, right? So, you know, you, we were talking earlier about your frustrations with CircuitPython. There is a request library, a, a tiny version of it that's made for CircuitPython. So you can have APIs that, you know, when the weather is nice out, make the light green. When the weather is bad out, make the light red. You know, like go out, you know, do I need an umbrella? Yes or no, right? 
all of these things are are projects that students could actually do with just a tiny bit of knowledge. If they know how to use requests, they can probably apply that to the mini requests library that's in CircuitPython. They could connect that to a board that has Wi-Fi on it or is getting its data from the, the computer it's plugged into. But all of those things are now possible just by adding this little bit of knowledge and learning. And the 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 secret to this is that no developer in the world None of the services that we use and take for granted are created by one person and only use one API. I mean, literally every service on the internet uses a whole host of APIs to be able to make something happen. When Amazon delivers a package to you, it's probably thousands of APIs that are called along the way to get it to you. Everything from you know, picking which which distribution center should fulfill the order and which bin the part the pieces in and how many boxes it needs, even the size of the box, the shipping label, all of those things are APIs that have been created and they're all orchestrated together to be able to, to get that box to you. So giving students a, a bit of a taste of this is a huge step towards getting them to understand how the world around them is actually functioning these days. And that is also pretty cool. That would be a really cool part. You know, so this is why we love still having conversations, because how cool would that project be? I have a package from whatever to whatever, and it's shipping on this this website. Track the APIs. <laughs> that would be intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and and once you get the hang of this, it's it's addictive. I mean, my yeah. home automation system has. Uh, uh, hundreds of APIs that it's using. And, you know, one of the things that it does is it checks my email for using an API. It checks my email to find out if I have any new packages showing up today from Amazon, right? It, it looks at all sorts of things to make this work. So if we show students how to use this, how to use APIs on the web, it really empowers them it opens up a lot of new capabilities. And it's that skill of figuring out, is this an API that I can use? How do I use it? How do I incorporate it into my program? And how do I make it make sense? So there's a lot of, of, of potential here. And I think one of the things we should do before we wrap up is just talk briefly about where you can get some of these resources, right? So how do you learn about requests? How do you use requests? What kinds of APIs can you use? And I, I think one of the, the great starting points that you um, put down here, Kelly, is the Real Python article on requests. Yeah, they, you know, it's a fallback Real Python. If you don't have a subscription to them, you definitely have to get one. But they did give me a little bit of inspiration as well as Michael Kennedy's. It's called, his course is called, I wrote it down because I always get it wrong. It's called it's Python, Python Jumpstart by Building 10 Apps Course. And I, I love that. I took, that was one of the first courses I purchased but I, it's my go-to to get more inspiration. But the Real Python activity gives you a couple to look at, and it's just talking about how to make it into something usable. They, um, I'm trying to find the actual API that they use. They use the GitHub API for one, and they used another one somewhere down there. But it was, it's just nice. It's just to be able to see all the opportunity and all the things you could do now. Granted, with eighth grade, all we did is use the the .get 
and the response. We did talk about a little bit of what happens if you have an error with calling of the web. What does it mean? It was kind of nice for them to say, oh, 404. Oh, that's why it's there. You know, something that they were used to. But that is all we really did with that library. Nice, nice. And there is, by the way, if you are wanting to teach your students about HTTP status codes, like 404s and 200s, in a fun way, there's a website called HTTP Cat, and it has photos of cats acting out or (laughs) representing each of the status codes, and they're funny and adorable and a great way to teach it. So it's a it's a good reference. And I know many developers actually keep that that website bookmarked to be able to look up unfamiliar status codes. I want to cover a few of the open APIs that you you've got here because I've used some of these two here and they're they're really fun. So you mentioned the Pokemon API. That one's awesome. That one is intense though because you really need to have one a student that knows Pokemon because you have to know who to call and whatever the energy is. But And there is a lot of information on there. So I think if you were going to do that, it would take longer than what I gave my students. I gave them 72 minutes to make this code. It was it was a partner activity. And that one, they were like, nope. <laughs> Funny, <laughs> yeah, but that, nope. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of detail. It's a lot of detail. We've got Bitcoin prices, a random activity generator. So if you're bored, you can have it suggest something for you to do. The rhyming words that you mentioned... I'm a huge nerd for this one. I I love these two. The one about which astronauts are in space right now and what's the exact location of the space station, the International Space Station. So there's a lot of really cool APIs based on space data out there. Yeah. And that one, that one is difficult if they don't know how to find the latitude and longitude. So that was another one of Oh, I have to learn more and I only have 72 minutes. Nope. <laughs> but a couple <laughs> of kids, they really liked going there. So the idea that they could go there and see what's out there was an added bonus because it was something that they spent a, a little bit of time on. And one of the things you could always do is combine that together. So mash it up with Google Maps has an API. They actually have a URL that you could pass the latitude and longitude to and, and be able to put a pin on the map for where the ISS is at the current moment. So mm-hmm. some cool stuff there that you can do. Yeah. And then the last one that I have listed was the Yoda. You put a phrase in, but there is a little bit of an issue with that, which we learned. You can only use it like four or five times for free for some reason. Uh-huh. So on the on the IP address and once you once it sees that you've been there so many times on that IP address, it's like, nope, you can't do it anymore. So I'm sorry, but who turned a Yoda <laughs> generator into a freemium service? Like that is it That's too much. I don't know who did it, but that's not okay. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was blocked on our, I don't know, but it was so cute. It, you know, young Padawan I, I am, or you are, or what, you know, they're, they looked at me like I was weird, but someone had to be weird for them. It's pretty cool. And then you've got some examples here, and maybe we can put a GitHub gist up uh, with a code as a sample for people to look at. But there's, there's, the sky's the limit with this. And and honestly, if you look through any of your coding books, you have like the automate the boring stuff, Python crash course, impractical Python projects, you're probably going to find some examples that use the request library in, in really interesting ways. And so take a look, see what you can find. We've given some examples here, and these are great for beginners, but there's so many more things that you could do and so many ways that you could leverage this really versatile tool to help your students learn and, and grow a little bit more with their knowledge of, of how, to, how to make cool stuff. Yeah. And just on a side note, thinking about things, for example, if you're doing the, the rhyming word API, what a great way to talk about length and how to pull everything. Sorry, they're coming in. Pull everything. And then also on the Bitcoin 
it was a really cool learning experience for a couple of students because the results came back with commas as a string and they were trying to do multiplications going with the Bitcoin into conversions into the USD. So there was a lot of casting from string to function and then to replace those spaces or those points in the the, the integer to have commas back into the value. Nice. So if you're wanting to figure out how to manipulate integers and strings and floats, that is an awesome API to even just look at. So adding a little twist. So there's our nice. share out, our share up of crypto. Nice. Hope I don't nice. All right. I hope I hope you don't for sharing about the most ubiquitous <laughs> Python library there is. All right. So I know before we go and we're running a little bit late, late and uh, Ferris, Kelly has students coming into the classroom as we speak. But I'm just going to cover a few uh, quick announcements. March 8th, 2022, 1700 Central European time, I believe. We are going to be at a learning loft with the Luxembourg in Luxembourg. We will not be in Luxembourg, but the learning loft will be there virtually. <laughs> we'll have more information about that in the show notes. We also are the keynote speakers at the 8th Annual Pinecrest Innovation Institute. It's scheduled for April 24th, 25th, and 26th, 2022. So Kelly and I will be speaking about going global with computer science. So you've noticed that that's been a big focus for us this year is globalizing our our approach. And so there's going to be a keynote for that. It is a virtual conference, so you can attend it from anywhere around the world. Uh, so we'll have a link to that in the show notes for you to read. As we mentioned, we also have PyCon, which starts on April 27th. So it's going to be a busy week. We don't know exactly when our talk will be, but we will be there. So we're looking forward to that as well. And then lastly, I wanted to give a quick shout out because we have a new patron, uh, patron on Patreon this month. So we have, let's see here, who's our, our latest our latest patron is Matthew Smalley. So Matthew, thank you for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. We also have Wendy Banner who joined us in December and I didn't get a chance to thank her. If you'd like to sponsor the show, throw a few dollars our way to keep things moving and keep things rolling. We're not retiring off of this, but it definitely helps with production costs. Um, there's a link to that in the show notes as well. Even a few dollars helps. And one of the things that we have planned starting in March is that there will be more Patre Patreon benefits for our patrons, including more one-on-one -on -one opportunities with us and some group sessions where you'll be able to to talk and chat about teaching and learning Python. So. Yeah, and lastly, if you're not following us on Twitter or in LinkedIn, we did put a post out there asking for any teachers who want to have a recording episode. We have a few in production. We might have a couple episodes about this, but we want to do a little bit of share out of curriculum. It is a constant question that we get from our listeners. And like I said, we are not allowed to share our curriculum at what we do at Pinecrest, but why not have a good conversation about how we teach and what are our pros, what are our cons, what are our failures, what are our wins. And so if you are a teacher of Python, go ahead and give us a message from our website and we will contact you. Even if you're just a teacher who uses Python <laughs> to teach other stuff, that's even better. Even so, better. <laughs> so we have a lot of good stuff coming. There's been some fantastic guests so far, more great guests in the pipeline for the next few episodes. So stay tuned. We're looking forward to chatting with you. And I think that does it. That's so it. for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly signing off. Mm -hmm.